Welcome to the ARC Experience, featuring the stories of self-advocates with disabilities and their families from around Wisconsin. Be inspired. Take action. And now for today's episode. And welcome to the ARC Experience Podcast. I am your host, Lisa Pugh, Executive Director of the ARC Wisconsin. And today we're talking about something all of us have been dealing with for some degree for a while now, social isolation. And we'll be talking a little bit more specifically about the impacts of social isolation on people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Our guest today is really an expert in many issues related to people with IDD. She's a national expert in the criminal justice system for people with IDD. She works with both victims and suspects defendants issues. Leanne Davis is also my colleague at the ARC of the United States and is really a respected professional who's pioneered the creation of countless resources, trainings, and information that has helped really so many people. I am really delighted, Leanne, that you're joining us today. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. Well, let's get going. So we can really talk about so many things in your field in, in this episode, but really I think, Leanne, a timely topic that I wanted to address with you was this the COVID-19 pandemic and the risks for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities that come along with that and particularly increased social isolation. Is this something that you've been thinking about too? Oh, absolutely, no doubt. And um, it's a huge issue for people with and without disabilities, but when you think about, you know, the situations that people with disabilities are in and how they've already been facing that, um, that challenge in their lives, when you bring the pandemic into that, it really magnifies that problem in many different ways, which is why I'm glad we're talking about it today because one of those areas is around uh, violence and abuse, which is an area I've been working in for many years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I mean, as we adjust to this new normal of the pandemic, um, you know, one thing we're seeing here in Wisconsin is that reports of abuse and neglect for vulnerable populations across our system have actually been going down. What, what do you think this means? And should we be concerned about that? Yes, um, that is something that's been happening nationwide, actually. So your state is no different. Um, it, it was already hard for people with disabilities to report. We know from different data that they are less likely to report just in general for different reasons. But then, of course, when you add isolation into that, it makes it even more difficult. But I'd really like to start with thinking about this you know, even more comprehensively, um, before we had the pandemic, we knew that people with disabilities were already two to three times more likely to experience victimization. So they were already um, at a higher risk of that. Um, there was an NPR series called uh, the Abused and Betrayed series that found that people with disabilities were sexually assaulted at seven times the rate compared to those without disabilities. And again, there's already a low reporting rate among people with disabilities. So adding the pandemic to all of that, you know, it just creates a situation where you can see why there would be um, even less reporting. Uh, another reason is that um, 
just for in-person services or programming, any contact between people with disabilities and their usual trusted sources of support have stopped or they've been significantly, significantly cut back in some ways. And that really impacts any opportunity to intervene or to focus on healing once any kind of trauma has happened or just, you know, just the impact on someone's mental health when it comes to isolation. Yeah, those are really some important things to think about. Are there things that we can do to kind of alleviate some of those risks for people given all of the pandemic circumstances we have now? Yes, there is. Um, of course, we, we do need more research in the area. One of the things I always go to is, you know, what research do we have? Um, whether we're looking at an isolation issue or victimization issue. And so since, you know, the pandemic brought new problems into our society, we haven't had the opportunity to do a lot of research on how does a pandemic um, impact people with disabilities or, you know, uh, the aging population, anyone who was already at more at risk of uh, isolation. So um, I think one of the things is really um, trying to invest in research that will allow us to know what really works. Uh, one of the things I know that that has been using been used quite a bit is just technology. Will technology be a way to really um, address that problem of isolation? And there was an interesting um, project that ACL, the Administration for Community Living, is uh, doing right now where they're, they're offering to fund innovative ideas and solutions that address isolation via different technology platforms. And they're calling this the mental health challenge. And so they're really, um, the goal behind this is to increase awareness and use of different tools, technology tools that help older adults and people with disabilities to stay really socially engaged mm -hmm. and connected to friends and families and communities. And so they're looking at how do we bring the technology together that will allow them to actually ex be accessible, you know, so that these right. programs, they know that they're out there, they know they, they can access them, um, they can access them. And so it's a great way of thinking more, you know, what the sky's the limit, you know, what can we create to really address that isolation because that's key and um, just think of what it could do even after COVID and I think that's the exciting part of it. Right, right. So you're think you're saying like even in a small way to think about in your community, are there ways to better connect people to technology so that they have other interaction and other people in their life other than, you know, maybe just the very small circle that they've been isolated to now? Right. Right, exactly. There's, you know, there's also the idea of peer to peer networking as well. And I know in COVID that is um, especially challenging, but um, we've, we've worked on uh, using that peer to peer approach around um, survivors uh, who have disabilities. And, and I'm also wondering how we could apply that to, um, to this issue of isolation especially, you know, within times of crisis like this, and how we can use these peer-driven models uh, to be applied to these challenges. So um, even though, you know, we've mostly done that in person, that there's still ways we can think about how we can expand that to be more creative and how we can network people together. And again, I think that goes back to the ACL um, funding 
uh, to create those opportunities for people with disabilities, maybe in a way we never thought of before. Another area too is just informal supports. Um, where are opportunities for people uh, with and without disabilities to connect in ways we haven't before? And just some personal examples around that. Um, I work with James Metters, a colleague of mine who's a um, uh, does a lot of work around um, educating about sexual abuse prevention. And uh, he and I do quite a bit of work together, but because of COVID, you know, he's been even more isolated. Right. And so we actually had a quick Zoom call with his pastor and myself and him, and we talked about ways that he could feel more connected. So, you know, even though that's not the same <laughs> as being in person, it still allows for that feeling of community. And I think that that's really what we need to remember that that is so very important. Um, we just can't not overemphasize, you know, how important it is that people don't feel alone throughout all of this. You know, you mentioned in your earlier comments um, something about people's mental health, and that's something I've been thinking about too. So not only are people with IDD perhaps more at risk of abuse during these really socially isolated times, but like all of us, they have, you know, increased risk for, you know, mental health concerns. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that and those sorts of impacts for people. Yeah, Elisa, that's a great question because um, I don't know, you know, probably outside of the disability field, people don't know this, but when we do training with police officers and victim advocates and others, we explain that how often people have dual diagnosis, which means they have both intellectual and developmental disability, as well as a mental health diagnosis, and that that's quite high. So, th so we already know that, right, before going into the pandemic. So, um, there are definitely unique stressors and challenges that can worsen mental health for people with disabilities during the COVID crisis. There has been some research on past pandemics showing that people with disabilities find it harder to access critical medical supplies. So that can become more challenging. Um, some people with disabilities report higher levels of social isolation um, than those without disabilities. And they may experience even more intensified feelings of loneliness in response to those physical distancing measures. Mm -hmm. So social isolation and loneliness have been associated with increases in heart disease as well as dementia and other health problems. Um, and as you know, there's been policies around just rationing of medical care that can even intensify that, that discrimination, that feeling of, um, you know, during times of crisis, there's even a stronger uh, feeling of discrimination against people with disabilities. Mm -hmm. So all of that kind of adds to that feeling of anxiety um, around what happens if I get sick and I need to get help, right. um, and just the, the whole issue of social isolation. So that's still, again, another area where I think we need to do um, more work and more research in. Sure. I mean, yeah, all of those risks, risks together, super compounding for people. It, what are, if I'm an average community member um, and I really am concerned with what I'm hearing, are there ways that I can watch out for or support my neighbors and other people with intellectual and developmental disabilities in my community? Yeah, that's a great question. And, um, and, 
I think of another example where I just found out that I have um, someone who I worked with at the ARC. So I've been working at the ARC of the US for uh, 25 years now. And when I first started out, um, there was a, um, a person there working with intellectual disability. And you know what? She called me out of the blue. Um, just, I, I got to talk to her yesterday. And, um, and it was just great because I found out she lives about five streets or she's like five streets over from me. Oh wow! Um, I had no idea that she had because of you know deaths in the family and things like that had moved so close. I mean that was her reaching out to me. But you know why she did it? Because of the pandemic. Because mm -hmm. right now she can't leave where she's at. And so I think that really creates a very difficult situation. So of course if we can call on people, you know whatever we can do to through technology be able to have some kind of virtual contact because that's really what we can do at this point. Um, thinking about like normal structures where people congregate, whether it's places of worship or or you know wherever they typically go, can there be any online services there? Um, how can we create more um, of routines? where we right. can check in with people on a regular basis. Of course, um, voice or video communication is always better than trying to email or text message. So we know that, uh, that that's better just generally. And then uh, social media can also be used to encourage groups to connect and direct people to trusted resources for specific types of support in their lives. So using these platforms, it can also, like I said, enhance that check-in function so that there's regular contact between people. Um, I think all of that is, is real important. And again, sticking to those routines as much as possible um, is good. And I, and I don't know if I got a chance to mention just the issues around reporting though too, like reporting abuse. Um, it's, it's always critical that we have in place some kind of mechanism for like surveillance reporting intervention, particularly when it comes to things like domestic violence and child abuse. Um, individuals at risk for this kind of abuse, they may have limited opportunities to report or seek help when these kind of shelter in place requirements really demand that long-term being at home, limiting travel outside of home, et cetera. So these systems will have to balance the need for that social distancing with the availability of safe places uh, for people who are at risk. And the social service systems need to be creative in their approaches to really follow up on any kind of reports of abuse or any kind of problems. So that's another area that we've got to be really careful that that we're being um, that people are able to report to to make some kind of connection to someone when they're feeling um, and when they are more isolated than usual. Yeah, so that that brings up a really good point because with social isolation, people with intellectual developmental disabilities might be, you know, obviously seeing fewer people, having fewer people checking in on them, and therefore. Right fewer outlets to report something that's happening to them that they're concerned about. So are you saying um, maybe from a systems perspective to think about where are the typical places that people report um, when they are experiencing um, something that, they, that, that is unsafe? And mm -hmm. are those areas still accessible or how can they be made more accessible or, or that people are even more aware of them, I'm guessing? Yes, yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, and, and I didn't mention this earlier, but it, 
if you look at victim services where people typically would go to get help, you know, we've been working in that area for many years to try to bring more of an understanding of how do you reach out to people with disabilities. And so, and when I talk about victim services, I'm talking about rape crisis centers, domestic violence shelters. There's victim advocates who also work in police agencies. So you'll find them in many different ways. But um, it's already been kind of hard for people with disabilities to access victim services. And then those barriers were just multiplied because of the pandemic. And there's reasons why it's difficult. And one of that, one of those is that, um, programs haven't necessarily taken those steps to become fully accessible. Uh, so that's really not the norm to have fully accessible services yet for, for crime victims with disabilities. Um, also, uh, with those in-person services limited, initiating services with many of those victim service providers or court systems and other responders, it often requires the survivors to make the phone calls. Right. Well, of course, that poses a barrier for people with speech disabilities or cognitive or intellectual disabilities and deaf and hard of hearing survivors who can't really communicate effectively using a or, phone. Or if you don't um, have a phone, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, and so all of those issues really pose a problem. And then victim service providers are turning to technology to connect with survivors. However, this approach also poses some specific barriers. Um, they offer a high degree, uh, technology platforms that offer a high degree of data privacy and confidentiality safeguards are not fully accessible. So that's a problem. And then many people with disabilities don't have that access to, to technology overall. And then others, including people with intellectual disabilities, they don't know how to use the technology and that distance learning can be difficult too. And there's this thing called tele-advocacy, which allows advocates to provide support virtually, but this can also be accessible um, compared to in-person advocacy. So we've got a lot to kind of, <laughs> to kind of overcome in those areas, but we are, you know, we're closer than we were uh, with regards to getting more victim agencies um, to use those accommodations. But it's just, again, um, even more important that we have that in place during times of pandemics. Well, sounds like we now more than ever have to keep the pressure on for those systems yes. to become as accessible as possible and for people be, to be aware of where they can turn for help. Absolutely. Yeah. And that does you know, that does pose an opportunity, right? Because um, we're not the only ones saying that within the disability field. We're hearing that in the aging community as well. Like we already knew it was a problem, isolation. And, um, but really, I don't think people are in general, you know, that we really realize how much of an issue it is for people mm -hmm. and how important it is that people are in community together and they can experience um, having someone there to just to talk to. Um, and, and so I think that this experience is really revealing that now more than ever. Well, you know, I know you're a positive thinking person, so I'm already hearing <laughs> you talk about the opportunities, opportunities with technology, opportunities pushing for um, research, pushing for greater accessibility, um, and just, I guess, greater awareness of the harm of social isolation for people. Are there any other quick silver linings you'd like to leave us with about opportunities that we should be pursuing? 
Um, I think I tried to hit on all of them before you even got to that question. <laughs> As you know, I do like to, I do like to think about the future in that way. But, but no, I think if we look at the peer-to-peer -peer networking opportunities, um, if we think about how to connect people through informal supports. Um, and how we can do that through technology in other ways, um, we need to identify gaps in the data. So this has again provided us a new way to go to our funders, to go to the state, the state, local, um, national level and say, we need more data to know how can we be prepared for this uh, when this happens again. We wanna, we wanna have the data, the tools, so that people with disabilities and others, um, you know, they have uh, much less um, risk of being isolated in the way that they have been. Um, I do think it's, it could bring a renewed focus on mental health issues, like you were saying, including how mental health impacts people with uh, intellectual and developmental disabilities. So this difficult mo moment, um, moment does offer the opportunity to advance our understanding of how to provide that prevention-focused a national level psychological first aid to folks. And it's interesting because in the UK, they have a program like that where they're, they have like a three step, here's how we can address mental health issues together. And they're looking at actually providing training to lay people and so that we can help each other in times like this. And I think that is fascinating. And I would love to see that happen within the disability community. And how can we, I mean, this, wouldn't this be great? You know, how can we provide that to people with disabilities so that they're able to reach out to each other through their own technology and they can have their own way of handling these issues too. So um, I think if we build on all of those um, opportunities that we have a much better uh, chance of being more prepared in the future. Really good points. It's been so energizing talking to you. I have lots of ideas. I'm sure our listeners do as well. So thank you so much for joining us, Leanne. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Of course. So to our listeners, you've been listening to the ARC Experience podcast. Make sure to like, share, and subscribe. And check out the ARC Experience tab on our website at www.arcwi.org to hear all our episodes. Until next time. Today's episode of the ARC Experience was brought to you by the ARC Wisconsin the state's oldest advocacy organization for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities and their families. It's funded in part by the Wisconsin Board for People with Developmental Disabilities. Our theme music, called Species, is the property of EY5Z and cannot be copied or distributed without permission. It was produced by Eleanor Cheatham, a composer and artist with autism.